To make lasting change, don't focus on the problem without first looking at the systems and thought processes that led to making these problems. house of the Lord. It is good. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's all right. Um, Even in this first hour early in the morning, it is good to be here and be in the house of the Lord. Uh, Really quick, tonight at a little announcement fast, tonight at four o'clock, we are doing our Live Sent service. Uh, If you go out and you look on the back wall, uh, don't, don't go out now. Stay with me here for a little bit. But if you were to go out when you leave the church and you look on that back wall over on the left, you will see um, our grow track, right? So here's the thing. Wherever you are at in your spiritual journey, when God so speaks in your heart and calls you out to take a next step, we want to help you know what that next step is. And so our grow track is helping you walk through and continue to move forward spiritually. We don't want you sitting in neutral. We want you to continue to move forward in your faith in dynamic ways. And the very last step is a state of being. It is living scent. And so basically what we want to do is at four o'clock Sun tonight, we do this once a quarter, uh, but at four o'clock tonight, this is actually because of activities, it's going to be at the East Fishers location over on Olio Road by Geist Lake is where we're going to have to do the service tonight. But at four o'clock tonight, we're going to meet over there. And the primary purpose of this gathering is to help you identify who it is that God has called you to be Jesus to. Like your mission. If somebody was to go, hey, what's your mission before the Lord? We want you to be able to answer that. Like, what's my purpose? What's my spiritual purpose? Who is God sending me to be Jesus to? We want you to be able to answer that question. Not just that, we want to help give you tools to be able to represent Jesus well in that place. So like the living sent state. So we have people in our church, man, they have made, teacher made their classroom like their mission field. We have a mother who's been uh, like pretty dismissed spiritually from her kids who's like, "I, I feel like God is calling me to like literally step into spiritual leadership with my children. That's great. Praise God. You know, we have people that have come and said, uh, man, I go and I eat breakfast at the same place every week and I feel like God is calling me to represent him to my waitress. That's great. We want you to identify who it is that you feel called to live Jesus to and help you battle plan strategies, people praying for you so that you can live into your mission. That's what we do once a quarter, live sent service tonight at four o'clock. It might be your business, it might be your home, it might be a neighbor. We want you to identify who it is God's called you to minister to and pray for you and give you tools and encourage you as you are working to live Jesus out to those people. So we do that tonight, the live sent, the very last day of what's my next step, that living on mission stage. We meet tonight, four o'clock, East Fishers, Olio Road. If you got more questions, you can stop at the Welcome Center. And I'd love to see you there. You're more than welcome to come out. It is a great time. It is not a time for preaching. Uh, It is a time for sitting around tables and battle planning and praying together um, over how you can live the mission of Jesus out in your life personally. All right, announcement done. Let's get to the message. I'm excited about today. Uh, We are, of course, in a series where we are memorizing Scripture. We're hiding God's Word in our heart. Into your heart is the name of it. And it's been fun doing this uh, all the way through because we don't want you to merely memorize the Word of God. 
old school Bible preaching, we want you to understand what it is that you're actually putting to heart and mind, right? So what does it mean, really, that you are hiding in your heart? What does it mean? What did it mean then? And what does it mean to you that still honors the intent of the text? That is the objective for us as we go through these. I'm excited about today. Joe Smart did a great job. Romans 12, 2 is going to be the scripture memory verse. And uh, if you need a Bible, we have them uh, in the chairs below. You can grab one. If you have one with you, you can use that too. But Romans 12, 2 will be our verse. Uh, it says this, just this part. You don't have to put this up, guys. Um, I'm just going to read it to you initially. But Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, or what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are memorizing it out of the NIV. We're going to study it out of the ESV. You can use multiple versions of the Bible. That's okay. Um, it's actually tactical. Week one of this series, we talked about why that's important to do. Not just something to consider, but it's important to do. I stumbled across a interesting, I, I love, like anybody, TED Talks? Anybody here like TED Talks? Okay, like four of us. That's awesome. Uh, they're interesting. Some of the TED Talks are interesting. It's like little sound bite intellectual people gathering together, you know, pushing humanity forward or whatever. You'll watch some of them and you'll agree with them. Some of them you won't. Some of them disagree even with each other. That's okay. It's the battle of ideas. And uh, this one, it wasn't a TED Talk directly, but they were referencing uh, a conversation at MIT where a bunch of students, Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, uh, was brought into MIT and a bunch of students were asking him questions about his organization. And uh, it was really interesting. So I found the actual video interview from MIT and I was watching it. Super, super interesting. And one of the students, you can't see the person on the screen because the video's just on Steve Jobs, but one of the kids, you can hear, you know, you can hear Steve go, yeah, yeah, you bet in the back of the room. And this, you know, voice, this female voice from the back, one of the MIT students is like, what is the biggest thing that you've learned, like with leadership in an organization, biggest thing that you've learned? And Steve Jobs, this is, it actually was great. He stops and he looks around and he thinks, it's so drawn out, it's almost awkward, the silence. And then he ultimately lands, and he basically says this. He says, to make lasting change, this is what he said, to make lasting change, to make lasting change, don't focus on the problem without first looking at the systems and thought processes that led to making these problems. Okay, let me, let me get it to you again. Go ahead and back that up one more time so they can see it again, Norman. He basically said this, right? He goes, to make lasting change, don't focus on the problem without first looking at the systems and thought processes that led to making these problems. How do we get to the point in our organization where we're producing these things that aren't working? That's the question. I got to thinking about that a lot. And these, this is the, like late night, Mike trying to sleep things, TED Talks. I mean, or whatever. Those things are fun for me. I like that kind of stuff. So as I'm running this down, I got to thinking about it spiritually. And there is this interesting overlap. And we're going to see this in Paul's writing in Romans. And so I'm going to reword this a little bit spiritually, but I'm going to offer the same idea to you. Um, I might say it like this. You don't create lasting change. I'm talking spiritually now. You don't create lasting change by obsessing on the brokenness. 
but by paying attention to what is forming the way you think and how you view the world. Let me say that one more time. You don't create lasting change even spiritually by obsessing on the brokenness, but by paying attention to what is forming the way you think and how you view the world. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to read both verses to you, even though our memory is only, memory verse is only the second half, and I'm going to give it to you in the ESV. We're memorizing it out of the NIV. You're going to be okay. I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Okay, so I'm going to read this slow. Pay attention to the words. To present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now comes our memory verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Right, so what we find Paul basically saying is you get to the end of honoring God rightly by some level of sacrifice and by some order of rightly ordering your attention. Let's do a little historical context really quick. Rome is really interesting. Rome was very complex. It was so diverse and polytheistic, it actually was functionally pagan. What do I mean by that? Uh, What this means is if you believe anything can be true, you functionally believe that there are no real external compasses. And all of a sudden, Christianity enters the scene in this very live my truth, you live your truth, I'll live my truth, live into your truth, unique, we all own our own versions of what is real and good, in this mix, this very polytheistic, humanist, my own truth is my truth, you have your gods, I have my gods, I have my compass, you have your compass. In this very mixed world, Christianity enters the scene, and Christianity basically says, nope, there is one grand truth that everything submits to. And one grand truth giver. And it created this really interesting stir in the Roman culture. So in this very mixed, highly diverse, my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth, we all live our own truth, you live your truth, I'll live my truth. In a world where that existed, Christianity enters the scene, says there's one truth and there's one truth giver. It caused people to The ones that could see the lostness were drawn to Christianity, and those that didn't like Christianity hated that somebody was telling them what was right and wrong. So people loved Christianity and hated it all at the same time. The polytheists would say things like this. I mean, this is so funny that I'm talking about Rome, because it's going to sound, you hear people say America is the new Rome? (laughs) Oh, just listen. The polytheist would say things like this. Who are you to tell me what I should do with my body? Right? I'm living my truth. You live your truth. They would say, who are you to tell me what to do with my appetites, my sexual appetites, my food appetites? 
Who are you to tell me what to do with my time? It's my time. Who are you to tell me what to do with my money? Who are you to tell me what to do within my marriage? You remember why John the Baptist, you remember why he was killed? For saying there's an objective truth and somebody was wrong. What we find in Rome is what we find honestly today. To be free, okay, Lord Jesus, in your name, help this to be clear. This is a deep thought. I pray that you would awaken our minds early in the morning. Let the coffee do its work. To be free from all constraint is actually to be lost. The polytheism, paganism, and freedom of Rome ended up creating the epicenter of social displacement. If you want to know more about this, St. Augustine wrote a book called The City of God, and it's a really great read if you like reading things that were written like, you know, 1,500, 2,000 years ago, which I do, but it's a great read. And he basically tells the story of ultimately the systems and structures that caused the fall of Rome. So what you had in that society is a whole lot of competing ideas and ideals, and everybody's saying, I want to live my truth, different classes want to live their truth, different people groups want to live their truth, all the way in this very diverse mix of everybody trying to own their version of truth, there became no external compass, and Rome ended up collapsing on itself because there was no central thing that everybody could agree on. What year are we living in? Christianity began to grow rapidly as people discovered this. And what I mean by the this is as people in the Roman structure, the Roman tension, the Roman fight, as people began to discover this very my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth, we're all fighting over what is true. In fact, Pilate, when he, right before he sent Jesus to the cross, he literally washed his hands and he says, what is truth? That statement is actually really important It is indicative of the state of Rome at that time. That's exactly what they thought. What is truth anymore? And the people that felt that lostness when Christianity came along and there was a prime truth and that prime truth was massive selfless love, the people that locked onto it really locked onto it, right? So Christianity began to grow rapidly as people discovered this unique, all-powerful prime truth that is this glorious selfless love. But this was not without massive complications when all these people were becoming Christians, right? All these new believers carried immense issues of depth and breadth into their faith. What do I mean by that? Let me give you a few examples. Where do you go when a new believer who is still a violent contracted Roman soldier comes into your church? Where do you go when that violent contracted Roman soldier gives his heart to the Lord and the family with the girl that his troop just raped is sitting on the other side of the room? What do you do when a new believer comes in in ancient Rome who currently has three wives? Where do you go with the new believer who fully believes their race is superior to everybody else in the room? Where do you go with the new believer who has five slaves? 
What do you do when all these people with all these different perspectives and all these different issues all walk in the room and they all start following Jesus? I tell you what happens. The church brings the chaos in it. And Paul is writing to this. All right, with this in mind, let's do a little literary context, a historical context, do a little literary context. The book of Romans can be divided up in a whole lot of different ways. If you're curious, just start looking through commentators and commentaries. Everybody has their version on how Romans should be cut up. And honestly, I have not taught all the way through Romans. The more educated I get, the more afraid I am of Romans. It's like the Mount Everest of the Bible for me. Um, Because there's like even things that appear to be ideas that I'm not sure how to even put together totally in Romans. But it's an incredible book. And the way I want to divide it out today, I want to look at the book of Romans through the lens of three prime themes that are woven through the whole book. I want to give these to you. The first theme is this. These are questions, three prime questions. What is wrong with us? I mean, so literally in the church, all these people with all their diversity and all their different issues and all their background and all the complication that they come into the room with. So everybody's coming into this place. They're all finding Jesus and they bring all of their mess with them. And they basically are saying, what's wrong with us? And Paul's response is, we are all hopelessly lost. We're all hopelessly lost. What divides us has so divided us, we will literally destroy ourselves. We are hopelessly lost. As long as we pursue our version of what truth might be and there's nothing to pull us together, we will literally implode. And what ultimately happened to Rome? Exactly what Paul said would. We're all hopelessly lost. The next question that's woven through the book of Romans is this. What is the solution? What is the solution? So he's talking to the church now with all their complicated issues who have come together. What is the solution? And he says this, God gives us Jesus. Literally, in chapter 5, he calls it the new Adam, the new way to be human. I'm going to invite Josh up and I'm going to pull some of these ideas together here in the next few minutes. The new way to be human. So imagine it like this. Um, you walk in a room. I just, I mean, let's put our minds to work here. Imagination. Let's, let's uh, fire up the creative side. The... And you got all these people in this room, right? So you got like contracted, violent Roman soldier who's now a new Christian. You've got a guy over here who's a slave owner. You got poor families that have been abused by this guy and another poor family that's been abused by this guy. You got... The Roman people over here, right, that really truly believe their race is superior, they're smarter. You got the Jewish people who think the same thing. And they all come with all of their mess, all their tension, all their background. They walk into this room, and Paul basically starts with, we're all destined for destruction. But then imagine this, so all the turmoil, all the inner fighting, all the complication, the bickering back and forth, trying to figure out what it means. I mean, people literally think that they can follow Jesus better because of the background they have or the situation they come from, right? Or it's almost like they're either fighting to compare who has the hardest life or they're fighting to compare who has the best advantage. They're always fighting. And what Paul basically does is he raises up the cross of Christ and he says, like whistling really loud. I won't do it. I have a really loud dad whistle, but I won't, I won't do it for you. 
He basically says, wherever you're at, wherever you come from, whatever mess you bring, whatever depression, frustration, hurt, anger, whatever sin issue, wherever you're at in this room, the plethora, the mass of all these unique hardship, difficulty, arrogance, pride places that you sit in, I want everyone to just take one more step towards the cross. Everyone, just take one more step towards the cross and then do another one. Wherever you're coming from, stop obsessing over each other. Stop obsessing over your past, your background, your whatever it might be and take one more step towards the cross. But then there's even another really interesting theme that's woven through Romans, another prime question. And you see it really strong, especially in the latter half, 12 all the way through to the end of the book. And it's this question, what do we do now? So in the walking process, what do we do now? And this is woven all the way through the latter chapters, 12 through 16. We silence or put down or sacrifice all other compasses and we turn our attention to Jesus. So there is both an acknowledging Christ as the prime good, but there is also an active initiative, something we must do where we choose to go, I am no longer going to choose to be defined primarily by being a soldier. I'm no longer primarily defined as my past ethnicity. I'm no longer primarily defined by my past sin. I'm no longer primarily defined by my past pride. I am silencing all of those superiority voices and I'm turning my heart to Jesus. Everybody take a step. And while you take that step, let go. Let go of something. The way one author wrote it, and I, I like this. Um, this even comes from some of Augustine's work and it's been restated many times over. But the primary way he said is, you are rightly ordering your loves. I don't love my career. I love the cross more than my career. It's not that you, you can like your career, that's fine. But you're not primarily defined by your career anymore. You're primarily defined by the cross. You're not primarily defined by your ethnicity anymore. You're primarily defined by the cross. You're not primarily defined by your past sins anymore. You're primarily defined by the cross. Instead of hyper-focusing on every potential problem, oh, we love to do that. Instead of hyper-focusing on every potential problem, we should focus on the objective good and what that looks like, what it talks like, what it sounds like, and acts like. We look at Jesus. If I could sum up this whole idea in just a couple of phrases, it would be this. Blessed are those who understand holiness is more a rightly aimed love than a perfectly followed law. For it is not proper law, but proper love that will ever increasingly, continually lead one further into holy living into the likeness of Jesus.
couple tactical things that we can do just in the last couple minutes. One, I think we pray. We pray. Pray that God would increase our love of his work, his ways, of him. And we pray that God would give us the strength and ability to let go of the things that hinder us, as Paul would say it. Even now, Lord Jesus, I just ask in your name that you would move in a dynamic way. I pray that, God, you would move in a dynamic way. I pray that you would help us to fall ever more in love with your work, your ways, your cross. I ask in your name that you would help us to turn up the volume and frequency of you, of your nature, of your heart. I pray that you would give us the strength to crank down the volume and frequency of the things that are antithetical to the gospel that we let still speak into us. Lord Jesus, in your name, help us to make you top priority, prime love, prime good. Jesus, in your name, help us to love rightly. God, I remember the whole human race was brought into destruction because the enemy taught them to love wrongly. He didn't by blunt force bring the human race down. The human race loved wrongly and it brought their whole race down. Fix our loves. In your name, amen. A couple things I want to give you before I actually walk off stage. I just want you to go back to this spot in your mind for a minute. There's Steve Jobs at MIT. And a student whom you can't see on screen raises her hand. It's a girl's voice. And says, what's the biggest thing you've learned? And Steve says this, to make lasting change, you don't focus on the problem without first looking at the systems and thought processes that led to making these problems. So there's Paul talking to the massively diverse, complex Roman church And Paul basically says this, to make lasting change, love Jesus wholly and work to make him center in all you do. We we all kind of know that, but why is that important? Don't miss this. When you do, all other things will begin to unravel. They will begin to work themselves out when you love rightly, when your love is rightly ordered. And what happens with this? Here's the promise in the text. Your mind becomes clear. Your mind gets ever clearer as your love gets ever more right. As your love is ever more centered well, you just kind of, your house gets clean. In here, I'm using house as a metaphor. Romans 12, 1 and 2, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. This is your true and proper worship. Here it is. Here's our memory verse. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Think of all the different patterns that are trying to get you to align to them. 
Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do you get to knowing God's will? You love rightly, and you shut down the other patterns that are constantly grabbing at you. And what's it do? It clears your mind and puts your house in order. You begin a journey of clearing your mind and putting your house in order. The last way I would say it is this, and this is a little more poetic. Um, It's kind of a complicated idea today, and I know that. So let me say it like this. You think living holy is found in more rules, more laws, and more control. You think fixing your heart is found in more discipline, more denial, and more restraint of your soul. We believe our best is something we can make. We believe our best is something we can shape. We believe our best is something we can make. We believe our best is something we can shape. We act as if God's compassion is something we can lose. We act as if God's love is something we choose. In the end, the truth is clear. It drives out every fear, and we can't make it disappear. The cross is stronger than our failure. He even chose us while we were still yet sinners. From his cross to your current, falling in love with Jesus is the only way. It's the only way. It's the only way. I want to put this question on the screen, and I want you to reflect on this on your Next Steps card. So everybody get the Next Steps card out. Just pretend. At least fake it. Make me feel like I'm doing something. Get it out. Pull it out. Pull the Next Steps cards out. You're okay. You can do it. Get it. Get them out. Get them out. That's how I pray for you. This is how I know where you're at. This is how we follow up. This is how we lead our baptisms, when you accept Christ, help you move forward and find counseling. This is how we pray for you, and our team does pray for you. Our team cries over you and your situations. Fill out the Next Steps card. It brings our lives together. Please fill out the Next Steps card. Here's the question I just want to ask you. I'm going to put it on the screen. I want you just to fill it out with this. You ready? In what area is God asking you to trust His ways and wisdom? In what area is God asking you to trust his ways and his wisdom? Is there any area in your heart where you feel the competing wills? You feel the tension of the patterns of this world and the ways of God? In what area is God asking you to trust his ways and his wisdom? And then any other prayer request you have, write it down. I want to pray for you. Write it down. We want to pray for you. Go ahead and spend some time. I love you. I love that I get to be your pastor. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital Next Steps card at EncounterTrinity.com slash Next Steps.